This show is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desk. Check out their latest smart adjustable standing desk at Altizen.com. A-L-T-I-Z-E-N.com. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. In this episode, Arnold Bonzum from 500 Startups continue our conversation on his two interesting reports prior to the 500 Corporations report that focus on the Singapore startup ecosystem and the funding trends across Asia-Pacific. Hi Arnold. Hi Bernard. How are you doing? Good. And we are coming back to the second part of the interview. I know we have recorded this a few episodes back, but this is the part which is pretty interesting. Arnold, before you actually start off with the 500 Corporations report, you actually have done two interesting reports that I wanted to talk about. One of them is on the Singapore startup ecosystem, which brought you to fame. Is that true? Got a lot of requests. (laughs) Okay. And the second report was actually on the Start Inc. Index, which is something about Asia-Pacific venture capital. I guess I wanted to first start off with the Singapore startup ecosystem report. What is the motivation behind building this report? So the report you mentioned is a second edition. I did the first one almost two years ago. And the main motivation was at this time, I was working in INSEAD and I found myself repeating always the same thing because we had like 1,000 students per year and a large bunch of them coming in Singapore and asking me, what is the startup ecosystem of Singapore? And then you start to do like 50 meetings where you spend one hour to repeat always the same thing and always sharing like what are the basics of, of the ecosystem. So this was becoming a bit boring for me. And second, not very scalable. So the idea was like, okay, let's do a deck where I put like all the basics information and helping those people to save time also because this will be available for everyone. I send this to people and when we met, maybe we just do 20 or 30 minutes meeting, but we can go on a very specific things. which is also like more interesting for everyone. And so you actually wrote it as a guide to help entrepreneurs to navigate, particularly like, for example, who are the VCs, who are the angel investors, who are the government agencies that will give grants for entrepreneurs and startups or SMEs. So Small the, medium enterprises, they call it. The audience is entrepreneurs. So sometimes entrepreneurs were looking to raise funds. So who are the main VC they should talk to? Are also like uh, corporates who are thinking about want to do stuff with startup, but they don't necessarily know where to go. So what are the accelerators? What are the co-working spaces? Let's say startup explorer, people who are maybe want to be entrepreneur or people who want to know more about what is happening. Or sometimes people from other startup ecosystems and just coming in Singapore for uh, tourism or for holidays or for work and they also want to know what is happening there. So for example, I found that US is the second country in terms of number of views. I wanted to get into the report for the Singapore startup ecosystem. What are the key observations about the Singapore startup ecosystem? I found like some interesting thing because as soon as you start to collect so much data, you have some interesting things you can see and especially when you do the second edition because you can compare it to the to the first one. Basically what I saw in the second edition compared to the first one is not one of the things is the number of accelerators. So this number double in one year from around 10 to 20 accelerators and I expect like no I didn't, I didn't have the full list but I think we may be close to for sure between 25 to 30 accelerators so what is interesting to see is like this number is growing in a very fast pace but also like who are those new accelerators and most of them are corporate accelerators so then for example in the last report it was Telstra Murudi accelerator for example coming so but we have also a lot of industry specific accelerator like startup bootcamp so people come also for very specific industry like only fintech so this is the thing is like most of the new accelerators are corporate or industry specific and also some of them are corporate and industry specific are there actually enough supply of startups that actually go into these verticals like fintech, consumer technology, and hardware? 
for example. You may find enough data to fulfill all those accelerators. The challenge may be about the quality. Are you sure the quality is good for all of the accelerators? Because the thing is, there's a competition in Singapore, but there's also a competition in Southeast Asia, when you also have new accelerators like Magic in Malaysia now, like managed by the government, offering like a very different system where basically they don't take any equity. So the value proposition is quite different. And then you need also to compete with accelerators in the US, with the top two or three accelerators in the US, because some of those startups, if they have admitted in those accelerators, they may go to those ones. But the good thing is also accelerators are not really at the same stage. So you may find also some startups have done have been through two or three accelerators. So about one of the startups who have been to GFGI, I've been to the 500 accelerators. Assuming that if I'm a startup who just come into the space, I'll look at accelerators, which are the more credible startups that usually people will turn to first. I think accelerators is like a lot of other things. It's, it's a tool for you as an entrepreneur. So the question is about what do you need? And which accelerator is the best one to fulfill your need? One of the things is important is, I think it's not only about fulfilling those accelerators in terms of startup. It's like the question I'm asking myself, if there is enough mentors. Because if you think, let's say, there's 100 good mentors in Singapore. 100. When I say good, is people with the knowledge. Then if you think about how many of them are good to share this knowledge. Maybe 50. Out of those 50, how many have time to be a mentor? Maybe only 20, 25. And then out of those 20, 25, how many want to be a mentor? So then maybe you have like 15, right? If you have like 25 to 30 accelerators and each of them need to have like, let's say 30 mentors, we're talking about maybe 900 already. And let's say some mentors are going through few. So let's say at least 750. But to have 750 good mentors, how much need to be the pool of mentors at the beginning? And I'm not sure that yet in Singapore we have so many great mentors because the ecosystem is quite young and there's not so many people who are going there. So I think this is also one of the challenges that may accelerate may face is in terms of finding the, the great mentors in, a, in the ecosystem. Mm. I thought one thing interesting in your second edition is probably I would like to put some numbers so that we can mm-hmm. move forward. So you say that there are about two unicorns and you cited Garena and Lazada. I would consider Razor as the third, but it's actually incorporated in the US. Then there are 12 centaurs and in those 12 centaurs, you have Raidmark, Property Guru, Vicky, which was acquired by Rakuten. There's Ribbons, who's still ongoing. WeGo and Zalora. And of course, Grab, who has solved. I think rumored is that this is already a unicorn, but we still classify it under the Centaur side. Yeah, so the thing is, I didn't mention Grab on this on this slide. So the reason is because then you also have the question about where the company is incorporated and where the company having the headquarter and the leadership team and all this kind of thing. Because the thing is, if you just think about the incorporation, then I should mention Flipkart. Yeah. Because Flipkart. Flipkart is incorporated in Singapore. Yes. So in this case, I will say Flipkart is a Singaporean company and is a unicorn from Singapore. But the thing is, the company is based in India. I mean, all the top management is based in India. And this company has been started out of India. If we take the incorporation as the only criteria, then the biggest state in terms of startup in the US must be Delaware and not anymore California or, or the city of San Francisco or Palo Alto or Mountain View, etc. Right? But I think the Grab situation is a little bit interesting because Grab is originally started in Malaysia, but now the HQ, I think most of the management team, they are all located in Singapore now. I, I don't know, honestly, the specific mm. details about, about that. But the thing is, I personally identify them a slightly more Malaysian than Singaporean, mm. but then it's really dependent about all the criteria you want to use. If you check about the incorporation or if you want to check where it's the headquarters or if you think about the company is five years old and they spend the first four years out of one country before to move to another one so then it's like where you want to put the balance between that so yeah it's not so easy at the end because especially when you just do a deck outside about singapore it doesn't matter if you decide to put in or out of singapore but as soon as you start to work on a second deck outside about the second country then you need to be clear because the company need to be in one of the country of course i probably should also say that you also added 
after the centaurs is the My Little Ponies. The, yeah. And then and there are companies such as like Carousel, which is probably I think one of the most interesting companies. There's a mobile e-commerce marketplace. I think they're funded by Sequoia. I think there are also companies like My Republic, which is aiming to be the fourth telco. I actually they are actually very big because they are doing broadband and they are challenging the three biggest broadband players in Singapore, which is Singtel, Starhub, and M1. And then you also have companies like Onsogo, Trax, Viki, and Zopim, which was acquired by Zendesk. In viewing this whole landscape with Unicorn, Santos, and My Little Ponies, which are the more successful companies and which are not so successful? Well, I just want to mention two things. First, that this kind of ranking I've been done like almost... Six seven months ago, sure. so there's a the lot numbers of, have changed. There's the number of a change, the number of a, a bigger now. So this is one thing. So again, I just want to be sure that everyone understood that the unicorn is a company with a valuation above one billion. The centers is above one hundred, so it's between one hundred million to one billion, and the Malital ponies is between ten million to one hundred million valuation. Most of them is based on on also on how much they've raised or how much the value, public valuation they have, and is is how we did that. How I did this of ranking of companies. And I also incorporated some of them who have been acquired to give a, a sense about what was happening as well in terms of exits and the size of the exit for uh, Singapore. What is interesting to see is I also did the slide about the age, the year of incorporation of the company. And what is interesting to see is like, and I did that for the, the one I call the stars one, the, 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 the biggest one. You see that the, for the last three to four years, a lot of things are happening. So you, you can think about also like Karina is kind of very... Like, let's say maybe the first generation of entrepreneur in, in Singapore, like maybe Garena, Zopim, Rebuns, company have been started like seven, ten years ago around around this, this time frame. But then when you see like Redmart, Lazada, Zalora, and many others have been just started like three to four years ago. So we saw like three years ago, like a huge push in terms of startups. I mean, among the ones doing pretty well. But then if you just take the last two years, definitely less because they have one or two years less than those companies to do very well. So we saw like... Before it was like some companies, and now we saw like I saw that it's way more. But we'll see in the in the future, like in three to five years, if is this a typing point where everything is changing now, or or if it was just maybe a good year for entrepreneur. One of the interesting data points that you pointed out was in the last ten years, that was based on two thousand fifteen when your report was written. There are forty two Singapore based startups that have been acquired for a total of almost half a billion, and the average exit for each startup is only about 40.7 million. Yeah. So that's actually quite an interesting number. I mean, I didn't even realize that. I mean, I've been in the startup ecosystem for almost 10 years as well, but I actually never take a step back and see the number of exits. And mainly they are all acquisitions. Very few companies actually go public, right? Yes, few companies have been public. And if you think about South Asia, I think Malaysia is pretty good. I think startup going to IPO. Mm. And Mall is maybe the only company in South Asia I've been to IPO in ASDAQ. The thing about the exit here is, so first what's kind of saying is like, I just listed the public information about company who have been acquired, who have been reported by the media. I know some of the deals were not public. So this is definitely less than the numbers that I know in terms of acquisition, but it's like the one I can share without, without any trouble. <clears throat> what is also interesting is, as you mentioned, very few people check this kind of numbers and this kind of data. So I already found like some other people quoting this in other report as a number of exits, but it's, it's kind of a slightly smaller than what is really happening. And then the 40 million, it looks high, but it's because also a lot of deals are undisclosed. And so it's why you can also expect undisclosed deal between, will be below for sure 50 million for most of them. And a lot of them will be quite small. 
the average looks high because very few deals are also at this close in terms of size. And I think the other interesting part of the observations is there's the emergence of fintech in Singapore because Singapore is a financial capital and a lot of people put private banking is one of the largest growing market in here. You also have the investment banking and Singapore, as you and I, we have just talked earlier, is that most of the Indian companies are actually registered here. Like for example, Flipkart, Open Secret. What do you see the emergence of fintech happening to the ecosystem? Are we going to get a whole wave of very good fintech startups? Because that's one of the things about startup ecosystems, right? Sometimes you should take what you have the advantage and basically build on it. I think the incorporation is something slightly different because it's more about for tax reason and also for IP protection and, and few other reasons. So, it's, I mean, it's not really linked to fintech, but definitely it's a good thing for the that the Singaporean government is doing is like a lot of companies from Southeast Asia and some of them from Asia are going to be incorporated in Singapore. So this is definitely a good thing for, for Singapore. In terms of fintech, we saw like almost all the main banks are doing something or are involved with a startup program or startup accelerator. We saw a lot of things happening. DBS is doing a lot only on the last few years, they decided to do a lot of things about working with entrepreneurs and startups. And it's true that also like a lot of new co-working, I mean, there's one new co-working space, new accelerators are becoming fintech. But if you think about the company that people already know in the fintech space in South Asia, like Fastacash or Omize or Coda Payment and a few others. Already calling have, levels they already, and BDEX. They already have been, uh, or 2C2P is maybe one of the oldest one in, uh, in, in the region already have been started like a few years ago. So those guys, is, I mean, 2C2P must be the first wave of, of maybe fintech startup in the region. And then you have like more the Coda payment and all those guys were started like more like three to five years ago. This would be a, another another generation. Um, but definitely there's way more support for, for fintech entrepreneur. One of the reasons with the work of the Monetary Authority of Singapore were also quite proactive about building a good regulation here to, to rebuild like Singapore as a hub, at least for Southeast Asia, but even if like way bigger than Southeast mm. Asia. I suspect there's a quite a tough competition also like with Hong Kong. Um, there's also London, kind of up for, for finance. New York may, may have some interesting thing also to offer. So, so it's like this could be like some of the ups for, for fintech in the, in the world. And I guess the last part of the observations, I know in every startup ecosystem, when there exists, there are successful alumni of entrepreneurs and we don't have the paper mafia in singapore definitely but what do we have i was wondering i was asking myself like what is the common point between between those entrepreneurs where, where they're coming from who they are any any specific things who, who bring them together and doing things together so i found like that a lot of entrepreneurs in in singapore are former students from insead so if you think about my republic uh, one of the focal founders from insead Renmar, two out of three are from insead and they met at the, at the in the school yeah property you, guru property see. guru uh, one of the co-founder of INSEAD so this is only like three like among the most visible and the one who have raised a lot of money in in, um, in Singapore I think all of them are among the top 10 to 15 companies have raised the biggest amount of money in Singapore it's quite impressive to see like three of them are, are there I mean three three startups funded by INSEAD alone you also have like NUS uh, but when I look after NUS what I, what I found is like a lot of them in fact are from NUS overseas Mm-hmm. So it was an interesting thing to see like Zopim or if you look after Moan from E27 or, or Gwendolyn now working at uh, Mashable, Darius from uh, 99.co, but previously Bill Pin and also like 10Cube where we are successfully exited the company. So a lot of them are, are, are linked between between them with in terms of school. So this is an interesting point about Singapore is I found that the, the mafias in fact are, are based on the school, not about the corporate. 
But now I'm working a little bit on an other startup ecosystem in the region, and I found it slightly different. It's like there's a school also, but also corporate. So it's like two or three corporation where we're building a crazy amount of entrepreneur in the region. I mean, in this country specifically. So it, it really depends. And I think what is what's very interesting about this fact, because then when you think, okay, INSEAD and USRC, but then what is the common point between those two? So The common I, point between those two uh, is all of them, all the students almost have spent time abroad. Okay. Because INSEAD is 10% of each nationality maximum, and there's two campus, France and Singapore. So for sure, all of them almost have spent time abroad. And NUSRC, they spend one year abroad too, right? So the thing is, the common point between all those entrepreneurs, they already take risk at one point. So I probably should add one more local alumni. I think that their influence are actually pretty influential. It's the HP alumni. That's the corporation alumni. They belong to the two generations before your NUS and INSEAD. Most well-known is Ko Bun Hui, who is a super angel. He invested in Razor and... Go go van, so that's one, and in his he was actually the CEO of HP, and you heard of Eddie Chow from Viki mm-hmm. Brentology who were exited, and there's a there, and the HP alumni, most of them are now investors in TNF Ventures, and in fact most of the seed investors in TNF Ventures are actually now the CEOs or CMOs of very well known US corporations, as in they are being the head of the Apex. Of that, so there is another. I think the more local community is not so much fleshed out because they are not so prominent. I mean, I'm speaking more from a local Singaporean yeah, when, the, when the we talk is, about that. When I look, when I when I try to describe a, a mafia community, uh, I mean, my kind of personal framework for that is about you need to produce entrepreneurs. It's not about producing uh, like executive or or uh, VCs. Like about like bench of people with a common point could be working in a specific corporation, Italy at the same, more or less same time, mm. or, or being part of the same school, more or less at the same time, but also how they help each other. So when you look, is why I did a, then I did a slide about, about Renmart, only with public information. I mean, there's way more than what I mentioned, but when you look about who have invested in Renmart, you have like some professor of, Ren, professor of INSEAD, you have also some entrepreneur in residence of INSEAD, you have uh, some former students, you have like some former students who are like now VC. And then what you see is like also Roger and Vikram also have done some angel investments. And then you see like the link between some of them that they co-investment and they're doing stuff together. So it's not only about having on the resume the same brand in terms of a corporation or school, but it's also about how they work together, how they help each other and how they do stuff together. So, mm. so this is what I was looking for when I look about those. So when we talk about the Singapore startup ecosystem, we cannot avoid the Singapore government. It's definitely one of the major stakeholders in the ecosystem. Good and bad, I think the intention they have is always good. Which are the important ministries and agencies and foundations that they have that you tell entrepreneurs that you need to look at? So I found like by being in a different countries, like I think Singapore is definitely one of the most supportive government for, for entrepreneurs. It's quite rare to see like so much support uh, from, from the government. And, and they're also doing it in a very lean way. I mean, in a way that they, they're willing to adapt quickly and, and to move the things. So this is quite interesting compared to other governments who sometimes you can just take AGs to change something or to launch something new. I mean, it really depends. Like, if you want to know more about the Singapore startup ecosystem, it's interesting to know, for example, some government organization like NRF, because they're doing a lot of things with VC that in the past has really done a lot of, of scheme and all these all this kind of things. So interesting to, to know about the different way that this is working in Singapore. You have the MDA and the 
IGA, but they're they going to They just merge and, 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 and just reorganize in a different way. But these are among the two main also, like Infocom Development Authority and Media Development Authority. But they merge, and I think now they're resplitting in, in, in different ways. So it's a slightly different organization. But I think it's also because they adapt on, on what is happening now. And because Media and Infocom is like kind of the same thing in a way. So they are changing this. So this is an important one. I mean, Infocom Authority and MGA is among the, the main one. You also have uh, Infocom Investment, which is part of, which is part of uh, Infocom Authority. I think what is interesting to, to know also is the links between all, all those people. Because when you think about, you go to Singtel Innovate, and then you discover, okay, Singtel Innovate is a venture arm of Singtel. And Singtel, then you know that there is some is owned by the government, right? So then when you start to see like how it works, it's, it's quite interesting to see like the government is like, taking care of a lot of things in a, in a startup ecosystem, being sure that things are happening. And for example, for Tax Ventures, which is also a very well-known venture capital fund, is funded by Tomasic. Yes, and I was really surprised, like, uh, recently, I spent a bit more time to, to learn more about what happened at Veritex, and, and, and then visiting a crazy amount of amazing company, and, and very few people know about about the investment in Veritex. Uh, they, have done a, they have done a very good uh, and very, very famous company. And one of the famous companies that Veritex invested in is called PayPal. Yeah, yeah, they've done a very, very, very great stuff. Mm. So I always want to know, like, who are the key people that you should know in the ecosystem? Of course, barring the two of us, because we're not important. <laughs> now I'm the last one. <laughs> <laughs> it, it also really depends what do you need in a way. For example, if, if you want to know more about the top event to attend, I think if you just need to go to one place, I think Zolis is one of the best ones that run by... Uh, but Christine was previously in your in your podcast too, so she did amazing. She's doing an amazing job to helping you to, to discover what is happening in Singapore. That's right. Uh, they also expanded to Malaysia and Korea, so it's pretty good things if if you want to know what is happening. Then, if you want to talk to VCs, there's a lot of them doing talk. Uh, I saw that Sequoia is doing a talk. I mean, they just did one recently. So you have a lot of opportunity to mingle with people. So this is a good way. Like when you go to this kind of list, you can find what is happening. And you can meet a lot of people because Singapore, easily, you can have like three to five events per day now. So it's no problem to meet people. The, I mean, the most difficult one to meet aspect is successful entrepreneur because they want to stay successful, so they need to work hard. So it's, it's, it's quite challenging to, to meet them and their time are very precious. So this is, um, it, it takes time. But basically, I mean, in Singapore, like people are very approachable. It's quite easy to, to meet people here compared, I mean, to sometimes other startup ecosystem. And and basically, if you spend time, you meet people, and you can do also cold email. I mean, the bad thing is still get an introduction, but, but you can meet a lot of very interesting people in Singapore. Even if, like, executive in large company are, are quite approachable. In France, it's very difficult. If you mm. want to be an executive in France, if you are not the same level than him or coming from the same school, it's almost impossible. It's, it's quite interesting you mentioned this. Uh, you, if you're used to be in the startup world, it's very easy to gain access to all the tech companies with their regional HQs in Singapore. For example, Google, Facebook, Microsoft. Mm-hmm. They are all very accessible people from, on that. And then when you're in a big corporation, to access them is actually not so simple. It's, it's, it's quite an interesting, refreshing observation that you have on that. Which are the key events to go to? I mean, which conferences... Of course, you have the main one, like the Echelon by E27. You have a Tech in Asia conference by Tech in Asia. Those are among the, the biggest ones in, in Singapore. But this is only once per year, right? So so if you want to... Really and then you have the Walkabout, which Christine organized every year, where everybody could walk around. Yeah, so Walkabout is, is very interesting because you have like around like 100 plus company opening the office. The mix between startup and some, not so much startup like Microsoft, PayPal and, uh, and AWS, for example, going there. So this is a very good way to mingle and meet people too, but the same is once per year, right? 
So then you have also other events like product hunts, uh, events. So this is like a more fun. Uh, General Assembly also organizing a lot of talks. I mean, if you go on the list, then you find like a lot of different events. Uh, there's also other platform like uh, E27 also a list of events. Technesia also have a list of events that you can see what is happening in the ecosystem. I will say also depending on which school you are from, there's an interesting network called Duo. Where, where it's a group of all the top business schools. Uh, so it's a good way also to network, but you need to be part of one of those schools. Actually, it's the top, I'm actually part of the world. So uh, you are either from the top schools from the Ivy League or you're from Oxford and Cambridge and INSEAD. So you'll be on the dual list if you are any of this part of the... This is a quite interesting uh, network uh, possibility and I quite a, I mean, very few people know about it and it's quite a good one if you're part of those schools because it really brings a wide range of people and all it works basically is like once in a while, each school open one of these events to the community. That's right. And it's, a, it's a quite a good way to network with people from other, other schools. Where do entrepreneurs usually work out from? I know in Singapore, we all go to co-working spaces. So do you know of a few? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not necessarily like the AV user of, uh, of co-working space, but now it's be close to 50 co-working spaces in Singapore. So it's becoming uh -huh. a massive things here. And we have some of... I mean, you have a lot of different options. It really depends on what you want, right? And it could be... The difference could be almost three times more expensive per month and per person, depending on where you are going. Let's say you just start your company, you can get like some free space at the block 71, around block 71, block 79. So you have Ace, for example, who can ask you for a few months if you just start your business. And US Enterprise also have, a, have a, I think, up to three months offer where they can also ask you. And I know that they're quite open in terms of the profile of the, of the entrepreneur for that. Uh, so this could be one possibility. But then you can go to other co-working space who could be like, Way, way more expensive, but it's, I think what is important is, okay, the price is important because most of the entrepreneurs will be price sensitive, but the thing is, something very important is also who is the community around you. Mm -hmm. So you have some co-working space who are more like with fashion people, a designer, and, and this kind of people. You have some co-working space will be more like some corporates around, some co-working space will be like more about social entrepreneur or entrepreneur, it really depends. So, so it's a mix between your budget, the, the crowd you want to have around you, and also, the, I will say, the commute for you and the, and the other people, if you're already a team, to go there. So it's, it's, with 50 here, you have a lot of possibility. But I just want to say, like, there's always other way to do it. Starbucks is a good thing to do, too, at the beginning. I recommend, especially the one at One North MRT, because you just see everyone from the, the Block 71, etc., just crossing your path. Uh, it's a bit like in Zhongguanchun in Beijing, where the Starbucks between the Tsinghua Tech Park and Tsinghua University is where most of the... Chinese entrepreneurs will hang out. So in Singapore, you just have to hang out in the One North Starbucks because I just have to sit there one day before a meeting and I actually bump into every other entrepreneur in town that I know. And, and you can find like VC or also Salam having meeting there. You can, I mean, you can meet a lot of people by, by just spending your time there. And also another way also, sometimes you also have startup or corporate having some space and then you can also use this space as an office. So so I know that personally when I, meet, when I spend time in Singapore, most of the time I'm like just using a so if I have a lot of meeting on Block 71, I know like two or three startups who ask me. So I just go there and I, and I use a, this, this office. When I'm in CBD, I have another one who asks me in CBD. And when I'm at close to Lavender, I have another one willing to ask me close to Lavender. So I just have like, instead of having my, me tied to one co-working space so far, I'm more about like having like different places where I can work from. And if it doesn't happen, I'm just going to Starbucks most of the time. So what are the key challenges that the Singapore ecosystem face? I mean, you come from France, so you see it very differently from how I see it as a local. I think something which is so as a challenge is the size of the market, like having um, close to 5.5 million 
potential customers here, I find it's kind of more an advantage, like Israel in a way, because for most of businesses, you know from day one that maybe Singapore maybe not enough for your business and you need to go to a second country, a third country, where when you're in France, it's like 65 million and you're like, oh, this must be enough. And then you don't scale. And then basically maybe a company will start like one or two years after you in the US doing exactly the same thing, come in, your, come in France and just smash you. So when you think about company like Dailymotion, it was the same size as YouTube before YouTube had been acquired by Google. And now when you check the two companies, like YouTube is way bigger. So the thing is, I mean, the advantage of that is like company need to think from day one about what they want to go after Singapore. So I think this, this the size of the market is, is, I think it's not so much a problem. I think one of the challenge is when you want, but it's the same thing than Europe. It's quite interesting. It's like when you want to scale, then there's a huge fragmentation in terms of countries, in terms of currencies in terms of legislation. So this is slightly more difficult compared to when you do a business in China or in the US. In terms of regulation, in terms of currency, it's slightly easier to, it's definitely easier to scale. But then still like US is not like one population. You could divide US by eight or nine different way that population behave. So it's not, because it's, it's not only about the border, it's also about how people behave. And when you have a country as big as the US or as big as China, People don't do the thing in the same way based on where they're living and all this kind of thing, right? So it's like still different market, but easier to expand that compared to uh, Sanam Southeast Asia. So this is one of the challenges like you can see between Europe and, and, and Southeast Asia is the fragmentation in, of, of the markets. I think we covered a lot about the Singapore ecosystem. And I think your report actually suffice to actually cover at least a very basic understanding of the ecosystem. But I know you started something called the Start Index Index, which is actually looking at Asia-Pacific venture capital as a whole. What is the key motivation behind the Start Index X? The main reason it was like, I was, I was wondering, okay, what, what is our thing? And... and what is happening in terms of funding in the region? I didn't find so much information, so much database with, with really like what, what is happening in the region. And I was like, first I decided to collect myself. So I spent like a significant amount of hours <laughs> every week to, to collect through like a lot of different way, like what is happening in terms of funding in the region. And, and then I was like, okay, this is interesting. And, and I started to collect, publish a newsletter with, with all those deals. And, and then I'm like, okay, but what about putting all those deals in a spreadsheet? So basically, at first, it was more like a Google spreadsheet uh, until the point that it's difficult to open the Google spreadsheet because there's too much information in the Google spreadsheet. And then I was like, okay, it's interesting to have all this data, but then see, let's see what is happening. Let, let's see what is happening in terms of investment, in terms of what is the difference between the countries, what is the difference between the stages of investment. So, so then I, I started to play a bit with the data. So what are the key findings of that report then? So this report was only for, I just published one about the first quarter of last year. And what was interesting is, is to see, for example, the difference between China and India. So there's way more investment uh, in India than China in terms of numbers, but that's smaller uh, compared to China. And I expect there's few reasons. There's, one of the reasons is because I collect more, most of my information in English. So I may miss the small deals in China were just reported in, a, in, in, in Chinese. Uh, another reason is maybe because the deals in China are already so huge that if you don't raise like <laughs> 2 million, nobody wants to cover what you're raising. Uh, but what was interesting is to see also the, the ecosystem in, um, in India where, where you have an interesting ratio between like seed, series A, series B, and, and series C and above. You receive it's, it's shrinking slowly. It's, it looks quite interesting. Like when you look about countries like Japan, it's almost like 50% of the deals are undisclosed. You don't know about the size of the deal. So, so there's like some, some difference like that. And for example, Singapore is a lot of seed because there was also a lot of support from the government for seed investment. And also because of the maturity of the ecosystem where now most of the company are between maybe seed and series A. A lot of them are at this stage. And there's not so many above like series B or C. 
So it was it was also interesting to see like this this kind of things and seeing like India is, is massive in terms of number of investments is very very active. I thought that report was very interesting. In fact, I think I cited it a couple of times on a few episodes of the podcast. And I think one of the interesting data points was the volume of deals yeah. that's happening. You are seeing something like three point nine times more deals in India versus China. But yet the China, the value of the deals are far still, more... Still bigger because the deals are massive in China. Mm. Is it because China has already matured in its startup ecosystem with the BAT, which is the Baidu, Alibaba, Tencent, whereas India is now in the stage of creating its own version of the BAT? Because there aren't any internet conglomerates in India. Then when you think about China and India, the thing is when, when you ask people to give you like five top tech company, it's quite easy to give five names for China, but it's very difficult to give for India. And then people try to mention companies like Infosys or Tata, who are not really like tech companies. And then they are like, oh, Flipkart. And then Flipkart is kind of a very recent one compared to the Beidou, Tencent, etc. Right? So one of the reasons is, is because China was quite productive on this market. So meaning those companies need only to fight with, the, with their, well, their peer from the local market. Where in India, you need to fight a global competition from day one. So it was an example with Flipkart when they, when they, when they receive a one, one or two billion of funding. Amazon put almost the same amount of money on, on, the, on the local subsidiary of, of Amazon. In India, so that is kind of the challenge that facing India. So it's why like building a, a huge tech company out of India is challenging because it's a huge market, and also a market where large company can go a little bit less tricky than going in in China. So China, why why able to build like uh, those very large tech company? I think another interesting thing about large tech companies is when you think also about Taiwan. Taiwan have produced in the past amazing number of large tech company like Asus, Acer, HTC, uh, Foxconn. Um, out of a small country, right? Japan was also pretty good with, with Sony, Toshiba, Softbank. Sharp, Softbank, Sharp have been acquired by Foxconn. Or, or Korea, Korea, Korea is an interesting model with, with Samsung with having a huge part of the, represent a huge part of, of the GDP of the country, right? Uh, it's becoming maybe, in a way, could be too dependent of, of, of Samsung in a way. Those countries also have really like global leader, right? Out of their own country. But India, there's like few few large tech companies are, are emerging now, but it, it takes a little, bit, a little bit of time. The interesting thing about looking at that data is that if you were to think from a global investor, you naturally would go to China, India, because they have the markets mm-hmm. and economies of scale. Southeast Asia is rarely mentioned. Do you think that in a far future, there will be interest in Southeast Asia market? I mean, I have this conversation with many people all the time, but... And if you were to go to look at all these different slides from U.S. investors, usually is China, India, the rest of the world. One thing is that people need to think about is like when you do an investment, as, especially as a VC, you want something scalable, right? It's, it's slightly easier to scale in India than scaling in Southeast Asia in, because of the of definitely less fragmentation. But one other thing that, that, I, that I mentioned in the report is it was also that when you check about all, all the top, I mean the most active uh, VC, if you check about Sequoia or East Ventures or Tiger Global, etc., most of them are already across several regions. And if you think about Sequoia, they're already China, India, Southeast Asia. They're covering all of them, right? EDG Ventures, India, China. East Ventures is everywhere except China in terms of deals that I've reported in this in, only in one quarter, right? So the thing is, you see that some, most of them are like doing India and China anyway. And then the one with very Southeast Asia is like more like East Ventures, family startup, more like early stage now. Now we have also Sequoia Capital since I'm doing quite a number, a significant number of investment in the region. 
So yeah, Southeast Asia is, is happening now. There's a lot of interesting things. What I found also is like when I was in the US two years ago, nobody cared about Southeast Asia. I just went back from the US like two weeks ago and I got people asking a lot about what is happening in Southeast Asia. People are planning to go uh, the next few months to do some, some, some visit here, meet some startup, meet some VC, see what is happening. So this is, for example, this was an example of very late stage investor. So for him, it's not too late. Still, still good timing for him to explore and, and see if it makes sense or not. But there's definitely more interest about what is happening in Southeast Asia compared to two years ago. And I think also the mindset are changing. People are not only anymore thinking about Asia as a, as a place of the world where they copy what is created in the U.S., but also an innovative place where you can have a um, global leader emerging. So after talking so much, tell my audience, how do they find you? Oh, they can find me on LinkedIn, on Twitter, Facebook. And your Twitter handle is? Arno Bonzam. A-R-N-A-U-D-B-O-N-Z-O-M. And you can find me at blongcwrburnalong.com. Subscribe to us at Analyze Asia, A-N-A-L-Y-S-E-A-S-I-A. Or you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and ACAST. And of course, tweet to me with your feedback. Arnold, once again, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Bernard.